Jets. But I do have one more concern about Warren before I move on. I had Nomiki Konst on the show last week, two weeks ago, depending on when you listen to this. And she's a firebrand. You know, she's somebody who was a Bernie surrogate in 2015, 2016. She was fighting the good fight for the Bernie Kratz. She's fighting the good fight inside the DNC alongside, uh, you know, people uh, who are looking to root out the the corruption, the cronyism inside the party. And and, and I want to applaud that. And I mentioned that and I talked about that very sincerely. I was not you know, just sort of um, – I was not simply seeking to flatter my guest on the show that day. I meant it. I think it's a really important work to go into these institutions and to root out the the bad actors and to expose what they're doing, to expose their agenda. That's part of this multifaceted, multi-pronged approach, this progressive and democratic socialist coalition that we're going to need to undergo that I talked about on the show with Jared Abbott earlier this week on the A-side that I've talked about with so many other people. This is the reason why I bring on progressives. When I disagree with them, when it comes to strategic matters, this is the reason why I'm in constant conversation with people from all over the progressive left of center spectrum, the people who are honest, well-intentioned political actors. Um, I'll talk to them. I'll bring them on the show. I'll take them seriously. But there are two things that I really wanted to quarrel with that Nomiki uh, has been saying lately, and, and, I'd, and I'd like to have her back on the show to talk about these together at some point, but I want to put them on your radar Listener, because I want you to start thinking through some of the implications here. Um, the first thing is that Nomiki seems to continue to give Elizabeth Warren a pass due to her previous uh, bona fides as this progressive, you know, anti-monopoly, anti-big bank uh, firebrand, right? And I've heard her say on her show and elsewhere that you know, encouraging Elizabeth Warren to have this come to Jesus moment. You know, come on, Elizabeth, you know, knock it off. You know, don't listen to these consultants who say that you have a path. You know, don't join arms with the establishment against Sanders. You know, prove to us that you're still this progressive. You know, you're going to ruin your legacy. There's still hope for you, though. You know, come on board, drop out of the election, throw your support behind Sanders. Hell, maybe you'll even be his VP. This is fan fiction. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. This is fan fiction. And I understand that Nomiki and some of these other progressive media types like the Young Turks, they have a constituency to play to, right? They have a listenership to play to. A lot of their listeners were Warren supporters. They're Bernie supporters, but they're sympathetic to Warren. They came up over the last 10, 15 years liking and admiring Warren. Maybe some of them still are voting for Warren. So it's in their interest, of course, as media presenters with a constituency, with an audience, to not you know, alienate and piss off and drive off a large percentage of their viewership. I get that. And look, and I'm not even saying that's cynical or awful. I, that's that's just – that's the nature of this business. You know, I could talk shit on that. I could I could throw shade or whatever. But look, it is what it is and let's be – but let's just be honest about that, right? They have their interests and, and we all have our interests. That's, that's, that's what a, a structural complex framework sort of understanding of society looks like anyway. But let's talk about the way that they're framing their disappointment with Liz Warren, that she was a good progressive and now she's sort of um, somehow dropped the banner and and, um, she's gone astray. I want to suggest that Liz Warren is the same progressive now that she always has been. And that's precisely the problem. But I also want to suggest that we need to be much more serious about the fact 
that this word progressive, this progressive coalition, this thing that we have been calling progressive since, you know, I don't know, the days of Dennis Kucinich and maybe say Howard Dean, right? Going back to the late 90s. The progressive coalition as we know it in many senses was a reincarnation of the New Deal Democrats that were hanging on through the 1970s and into the 80s. And of course, the third way and Clintonian triangulism sweeps not only the United States, but also the world. We see it in Tony Blair. We see it in a number of other stuffed shirt, suit-wearing politicians across the – particularly the Western world. And when the third way politi- political revolution, if you will, that's what it was, you know, triangulated away the most important and the most essential elements of the prior New Deal Democratic Party um, coalition, the progressive wing of the party – emerged over the course of that decade in the 90s to try to uphold those traditions try to, to and, and also try to update some of the demands right and the demands of the various sort of uh, more identitarian struggles and I don't say that in a, in a um, I don't say that meaning to denigrate those struggles a lot of them are very important but you know you saw this the struggle for gay rights in the 90s was something that was staunchly opposed by Clinton not only Bill but also Hillary. And virtually every uh, mainstream Democratic Party political operator. And so support for things like gay rights was uh, a real rallying cry, a center point, a center, a centering call for the progressive wing as it emerged in the 90s. And so you saw this reconfiguration, this rebirth, this reconsolidation of what, what would come to be known as progressivism. And of course, that took another turn in the wake of 9-11 and the George W. Bush phenomenon, <laughs> that shift in, in the American political scene. Progressivism was something that was uh, you know, imagined as the most passionate and active um, anti-Bush, anti-neocon, you know, anti-war segment of society. And so it had – what I'm saying is I'm, I'm tracing the genealogy of the word progressive in the, in the way that prog- progressives have existed since the early 90s to present to suggest that the word has been around. The impulse has been around. The movement has been around. But there was a sea change when Bernie Sanders came onto the stage. And what we call progressive now is qualitatively and categorically different from what the progressive movement had had been prior to him. The progressive movement was Denis Kucinich. It was a sort of anti-war uh, sort of ethos. It was a gay rights ethos. It was a, a lot of important movements, you know, who have now that have now been sort of completely <laughs> co-opted and um, taken over by the kind of woke industrial uh, industry complex that <laughs> the woke industrial complex that has um, given us uh, neoliberal identitarianism. But after 2016, progressivism became something very different. And it became, you know what it became? It became Bernie Sandersism. So it kills me when I see people like Jank Uger on the Young Turks, people like Anna Kasparian, even people like Nomiki Konst. And, and I have an enormous amount of respect for all three of those people, even though I disagree with them sometimes. But it absolutely kills me when I see those people talk about this progressive wing as though Sanders and his coalition was just one aspect of that progressive wing. 
that somehow that, oh, Elizabeth Warren is still a part of this and she can – she's a progressive and she can bring her – yeah, she is a progressive. She's a pre-Bernie progressive. She's a progressive before Bernie, a PBB. Yeah, I just coined that live on air. You guys can use it. Cite me. Don't cite me. I don't care. She's a PBB, progressive before Bernie. To suggest that the progressives before Bernie are as they are now gives far too much credit to the pre-Bernie progressives for building this movement because they had no fucking part in it. I'm sorry, but they had no part in it. Elizabeth Warren had nothing to do with building the, the, the policies, the impulses, the coalitions that exist under the Bernie movement today. You know who did? Occupy Wall Street. You know who did? The movement of the squares, the anti-austerity movement, the anti-war movement, the radical, uh, oftentimes socialist political sects that started educating people in unions and across campuses, right? I'll even include, you know, my, my favorite punching bag, the ISO in there, an organization that I was a member of. Uh, those are the people who have uh, the, the, you know, the, the credit, who deserve the credit for building up what is now known as the progressive movement, right? The early, early Black Lives Matter movement, not the one that became corporatized and neoliberalized by these uh, grifters who just wanted uh, you know, to get rich on foundation money. Those are the people who deserve credit for this progressive movement, not these pre-Bernie progressives like Elizabeth Warren. Okay, some of them, like say Dennis Kucinich and Democracy Now and those types of people, deserve some credit for carrying the flag, for for carrying that banner when it was unpopular and unpalatable to do so. But look no further than Bernie Sanders for a man who'd been doing that for over forty years. So, when I hear people like Nomiki Konst suggest that you know Elizabeth Warren was a progressive then, and she you know that she's she's erred from her progressive ways. Elizabeth Warren is not a post-Bernie progressive. So she's always been a pre-Bernie progressive, and she still is a pre-Bernie progressive. And what I want to suggest is this is not her latest actions are not some kind of aberration from you know her proud tradition as a progressive. I want to suggest that she's doing exactly what any pre-Bernie progressive would have likely done if they were living in a world where Bernie Sanders never fucking existed. And that's the anachronism that is the Warren campaign right now. And that's the anachronism of the progressives who are pushing Warren over Sanders right now. They're, they're acting as though we are not living in a world that was almost entirely made in the image of Bernie Sanders, not solely by Bernie Sanders, by the movements, by the grassroots, by the working class, by the movements for the oppressed and the exploited in all realms of society. But this progressive post-Bernie progressive movement is made almost entirely in the image of Bernie Sanders. And so for people like Jank Uger or these other media operators, or even, you know, my good friend now at this point, Nomiki Kahn's, to suggest that, that Elizabeth Warren is a viable and vital part of this so-called progressive coalition, it's poppycock. <laughs> it's poppycock. I want to I I I be like Stewie from Family Guy and go grab some crayons and write poppycock and scribble on the wall. It's the nicest thing I can say about it. Um, that's not to suggest that we don't need to be nice to these progressives, these pre-Bernie progressives. It's not to suggest that we don't need them to, to build coalitions with them and to work with them. We absolutely do. But let's not delude ourselves into believing that there's some sort of like pure, holy progressive kernel 
that somehow exists in this universe without Bernie Sanders and the movement that is now behind him. Because those are two qualitatively and categorically different things. We need to start making these distinctions. We need to remain in conversation with in conversation with progressives in order to fight for these distinctions. And we need to continue to support the people and the projects and the agendas of those who are pushing those distinctions every day. Because I got to say, in closing, this Bernie rally was very encouraging. It was young. It was multiracial. It was multi, even generational. Um, it was very enthusiastic. Bernie's the front runner, and there's no reason that we can't take the White House. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've never been more, never been more. Um, optimistic right now. The superdelegates are, are working behind closed doors, but they are baffled, and they're going to be even more baffled when Bernie either wins South Carolina or performs much, much better than anyone ever thought he would. And they're certainly going to be baffled after Super Tuesday when he, uh, I'm going to call a sweep. I'm going, to be, I'm going to call a bit of a sweep in many places. I will. Um, he is polling remarkably well in many of the biggest states. He's going to run away with California. He looks to win Texas, which is astonishing that a Democratic Socialist is going to win in Texas, even a Democratic Party primary, that is. Um, he looks to run away with this thing in many, many places. Let's run up the score in, in New York. Let's run up the score in California. Let's run up the score in some of these other heartland states. Uh, I think he, he has a very good chance to win my home state of Virginia, which is, by the way, the home base of the neoliberal triangulist Democrats as they exist now in Fairfax, Virginia. Matt Carp uh, has talked very – has written very eloquent, uh, eloquently about Fortress Fairfax um, and what that means to this kind of neoliberal blue dog um, triangulationist wing of the party. Bernie Sanders is surging. Um, I've never been more confident. But we have a support base of hardcore Bernie Kratz who are not yet educated, um, I, who are not yet capable of pushing this thing in the way and in the directions with the intensity and with the focus, with the prioritization that is required in order to, to carry this thing through. And I say that with love. It's a constructive, sympathetic criticism. I talked to as many people as I could talk to yesterday at this rally. I talked to young. I talked to old. I talked to black. I talked to white. I talked to Latinos, Latinas. I talked to uh, people who were obviously flagging as queer in some way, shape, or form with their with their shirts, you know, their attire, queers for Bernie, um, things like that. I talked to um, uh, one person who was undocumented. Um, and I asked them as many questions as I could. Yeah, so, you know, how long have you been supporting Bernie? Um, you know, I had a little – a little, uh, I had some credentials so I could do this. How long have you been supporting Bernie? Um, you know, what's, what's your most important issue? Um, you know, why, why would you ever vote for anybody else? Like say in the primary, is there somebody else that also excites you? Just very sort of basic questions. And the good news is that I got a lot of very strong and passionate, you know, uh, very strong and passionate calls for positions that are are very very radical, you know, in terms of where we ever thought the American political scene could go. I mean, people calling for the the Green New Deal, jobs guarantees, you know, obviously ending student student debt, um, you know, a bunch of trade unionists out there sporting the colors and the 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 labels and the, the signs of their locals. It was a very radical scene, and yet these are people who are not that politically savvy. These are people who don't consume 
kind of media, like certainly not like DPS, but not even like, say, the Young Turks. These are people who are passionate. They need things. They have the right impulses. They have the right desires, but they're not yet ready to understand or make the kind of distinctions that are necessary in order to make push this thing through to victory. They're very passionate, but God damn, do we have a lot of work to do. That's all I'm trying to say. This concludes your free teaser of this week's B-Side. Head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe today to hear the rest of this episode and to double your DPS pleasure each week.